Good morning. Welcome to the inaugural, I think that's the right word, the very first episode of Robes and Norse Strobes podcast. And what a day it is for the very first episode because I just returned from attending the Sunday morning service at North Point Church here in Alpharetta, Georgia, where Andy Stanley uh, spoke to, quote, clarify and uh, discuss the online criticism that he has faced over the last week, um, especially uh, since the unconditional conference was held at the North Point Church campus. And unbeknownst to me, I wasn't even aware, but apparently Albert Moeller uh, wrote a, a article saying, alleging that Andy Stanley has left biblical Christianity. And I think it was called something along the lines of the train has departed the station, or the train has left the station departing from biblical Christianity. So welcome. <laughs> with that as the backdrop, we are off and running with our very first episode. Um, you might ask, what the heck does robes nor strobes mean? Um, I had been podcasting uh, over at a different podcast called Chief End for the last several years, um, and it was basically just a venue for me to front, um, and you go, what does front mean? Um, I, I kind of made up that word. It's the combination of venting and frustration. So venting frustrations that I had personally experienced with American evangelicalism, the family members had personally experienced through the uh, being exposed at a very young age to the underbelly of American megachurch, um, the revenue-generating machine that it has become, um, and then experiences through sort of ex secondhand experiences through family members going through the ringer at places like Mark Driscoll's church, Matt Chandler's church, um, and many other things in between. So that, that, that was a space where I argued that the chief end of man was humility. Um, and how effectively I argued that, I don't know. As I said, it was it was it may have been more just venting of frustrations. Um, but as I've, as I've thought about how to contribute to the good of, I, I hate the phrase, the good of the church, as I... As I've thought about how to contribute to and encourage individuals that I've known in the Christian space over the last quarter of a century, many of whom have just completely abandoned any interest in church, any interest in God, any interest in trusting Jesus, I have concluded that neither robes nor strobes matter. And you go, what does that mean? Well, when we left the American megachurch scene with the strobes, the strobe lights and the uh, the modern worship style and the big fancy screens and all the technology, over the next 10 years or so, we found ourselves leaning and moving towards smaller traditional churches uh, in the evangelical Presbyterian realm or the uh, PCA, not PCUSA, but the PCA. Presbyterian Church of America, and really valuing and appreciating their 
emphasis on the robes side of things. And what I mean by that is in kind of the hip cool churches, the strobes are the focus, the the atmosphere and the, the production quality is the focus. And when you move to the more traditional expressions of faith, the robes are the focus. And the whole the whole point is that it's not the production or the individual pastor that's the focus. It's more the message, um, the content of the liturgy, the God, Godward focus of how the worship service flows, um, juxtaposed against the brilliance of the individual senior pastor. So we found ourselves moving that way. And what I have concluded is that neither robes nor strobes matter if you take your eyes off of Jesus in pursuit of and defense of your particular style of worship and your particular social or cultural or spiritual agenda. And so abuse happens throughout all veins of Christianity. Men's hearts are corrupted throughout all veins of Christianity. Our allegiance to the gospel and humility and our pursuit of loving others is compromised across all expressions of Christianity due to the fact that we are all in the same boat, namely dealing with the corrupted nature of the fall and sin. And it doesn't matter which outward expression you pursue, the outward expression does nothing to subdue the corruption that is inherent in every single individual human being. So the focus of this podcast is really to then emphasize, well, what is, what does have efficacy against the fallen nature of every single human individual. And really, the focus of this podcast will be Christ. Christ is the only answer to the problem of sin in the world. The external expressions that we pursue, the external trends we follow, have no ability to subdue the fallen state of mankind. And there we go. That's the end of the podcast. And I am chugging coffee. So that's kind of the focus here, robes nor strobes. It's not about style. It's not about necessarily uh, different traditions associated with those styles. It's about Christ and Christ alone. So if that sounds overly simplistic for you or too boring, you know, then you probably don't want to listen to this, but that's kind of where my heart has landed after a quarter century of wrestling with the ills of the American church. So back to the topic at hand for the first episode, namely my thoughts on Andy Stanley's response to Albert Moeller and other online criticism this morning. Um, I had told some family members uh, earlier this year in February that I thought they were they they asked how can you be going to Andy Stanley's church because it's not like this is a new thing i mean he's had controversy surrounding his stance on his approach to homosexuality in the church 
dating back to at least 2011. And to his credit this morning, he actually walked through the historical kind of highlights of how these things came about. And he went all the way back to 2011, talked about some events in 2014, talked about some events in 2000, I think 17. And then, you know, leading up to the unconditional, unconditional conference. And, and I had told some family members in February that I thought within the next six to 12 months that he this, this whole issue would really come to a head um, over the next six to 12 months. And I believe that it has. Um, so therefore, I am a prophet. No. <laughs> I spoke prophecy in advance. Um, so I've, I've been kind of keeping an eye out for it because you just you kind of get a sense when you've been around the block enough times. You get a sense for when there's certain issues uh, bubbling under the surface. And so it didn't surprise me one bit that he came out this last week and said, hey, please come to the church because we're not going to broadcast it online. And I want to address some of the comments and controversy surrounding uh, the unconditional conference. And and unbeknownst to me, the Albert Moeller comments. Um, so where to start? I, I, I want to, I mean, I as I was sitting there listening and watching, um, Within the first five minutes, I had an epiphany. And and if you've listened to the Chief End podcast or, or discussed with me in person anything, I, I have a tendency to, let's just say that I'm enthusiastic for categories that make sense. <laughs> I, I like taxonomy. Um, the, the discipline or the pursuit of organizing complex things into uh, simpler categories for us to help in the understanding of making sense of the complexity. So I could just start with the two. It just jumped out of me. It was like, it was like, whoa, like an epiphany of, whoa, this is what we're doing in the robes category. And this is what we're doing in the strobes category. And both are wrong. Um, but before I get there, um, I'm just going to say to his credit, okay, so for all of the Andy Stanley haters out there, um, to his credit, and, and full disclosure, um, we have attended Andy Stanley's church for two years and are involved with home groups and have developed some very good close friendships with other couples who I would say are faithful Christians, love the Lord, uh, seeking to raise their children in the fear and admonition of God. Um, and I know from our discussion last week that they're kind of concerned about some of the things that have been going on as well. Um, and you go, oh, how can you go to Andy Stanley's church? You're a heretic. You're a backslider. You've fallen off the wagon. Again, if you were in my shoes and you concluded, whether rightly or wrongly, I believe rightly, obviously, um, because every man is right in his own eyes, <laughs> that if the robes or strobes don't matter and both robes and strobes are getting it wrong, then you just kind of have to pick your poison, so to speak, and try to go encourage other Christians. That's become my default position. Um, and I know for some people, especially people who are more on the conservative 
John MacArthur too tight of collars, stodgy conservatism, that you're not going to like that statement. Oh, no, we're not wrong. We're right. You're wrong. Whatever. I mean, but I'm just explaining how we landed here was it doesn't really matter. If both are getting it wrong, then just pick your poison and go try to try to find the wheat among the tares in either environment and encourage them. <laughs> That's become our approach to Christianity and living out our faith in this world. We're on a wheat hunt. Uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. What's a wheat? What's a tear? Read your Bible. Uh, maybe you'll figure it out. Anyway, so to Andy Stanley's credit this morning, okay, to his credit, he clarified that the unconditional conference is specifically designed to help Christian parents connect and build relationships with their children who have come out of the closet as LGBTQ+. And I appreciated the fact that he clarified that. He said explicitly, it's not a conference for us to make doctrinal assertions or to claim that we believe certain things surrounding this topic. He said the entire purpose is to help give tools to encourage Christian parents whose children have come out of the closet as LGBTQ plus Christians. And he said that in his experience, when a child who has been raised in the church or has been raised in evangelical Christianity comes out of the closet as gay, that most of the times in his experience, he has observed that the parents retreat into a closet and turn out the lights. And so he, dating back to 2011, decided in response to this phenomenon he saw happening that that more and more evangelical Christian kids were coming out of the closet expressing same-sex attraction, and the parents were therefore then retreating in shame into their own closets and hiding, he said, hey, we got to do something to try to establish connection and relationship between the parents and the children. Fine with me. Don't, I don't have any problem with that. And I know that the more hardline conservative people are going to say, nope, you cut them off, you Matthew 18 them, you turn them over to Satan, and you let you let the that that whole process play out and maybe God will have mercy on them and maybe he won't. And if he doesn't, then well, they're, they were vessels of destruction to begin with. So too bad. Glad I'm not them. Um, also to his credit, he at the end said, okay, many of you are probably sitting here asking yourselves, what does North Point Church teach? And then he went through and he said, these are the three things we teach as it relates to sexuality. Number one, honor God with your body. Number two, don't be mastered by anything. And he said, don't be mastered by a romantic relationship, pornography, a sexual relationship, riches, poverty, anything. Don't allow yourself to be mastered by anything. And number three, do not sexualize a relationship outside of marriage. Those are three very explicit things he stated as to what North Point teaches. He said it's not so much what we believe, because if you're coming to the church as a, as, as a parent with children, you want to know what we teach. So to his credit, he outlined those three things. Honor God with your body. Don't be mastered by anything. Do not sexualize relationship outside of marriage. Then he went in to talk about how gay people that he has known 
they abstain, many of them abstain from engaging in sexual behavior, homosexual relationships for the entirety of their lives. Then he proceeded to say, however, some are not able to tolerate or, or, or persist under that abst what, abstention. That's not the right word. Uh, they're not able to abstain for their entire lives. So therefore, they pursue marriage with inside the context of a homosexual relationship. And at this point, he said, so we teach that, oh, he also said, we teach that, we teach a biblical view of marriage is what he said, that marriage is between a man and a woman. But he said, the issue becomes, then how do we as the church respond when someone makes a decision to pursue a gay marriage? So that's where he kind of left it. So in typical kind of mega church Andy Stanley fashion, he walks the line to where he's, you, it could be concluded, and this is where I'm leaning, that he's potentially speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He's trying to have his cake and eat it to whatever euphemism you want to put in there for trying to walk, keep, keep not, not take a stance. And he, and he referenced a couple times, we at North Point like to draw circles, not lines. And then he, as the message went on, he continued to emphasize how we want to draw very large circles. So in that, if someone at North Point is listening to this podcast, I would appeal to that large circle and posit to you. <laughs> what does posit mean? You use such weird words. Um, that hopefully my thoughts and opinions and critiques of some of the content today fall within that wide circle. Um, that you will accept me in that wide circle because after all, Andy Stanley does want to draw very large circles as he explicitly said a couple times today. Um, so those were the things to his credit. And I, I, I won't repeat them just because I feel like it's... Uh, What's the, what's this? That's not a that's not a hyperbolic overstatement. Um, that's not the right way to say it. But rhetorical. It's not a rhetorical overstatement. I don't want to get into just rhetorically overstating things because, in my opinion, in my experience, underprepared speakers they just like to rhetorically overstate things as emphasis, um, when in reality it shows a lack of actual conviction or additional content. Coffee time. So what I can appreciate about the things that I stated to his credit, he's, he's trying to emphasize individuals. He is trying to demonstrate compassion for individuals that are struggling. He talked a lot about how he's spoken with several gay people who in their teens and early 20s asked God to, quote, take this away. And so... It appears that he has a real sense of compassion and empathy for people who struggle with same-sex attraction. And to denigrate that empathy and that compassion, I think, is very pharisaical um, and borderlines on, you know, the, I, what came to mind when he said that was the imagery 
of the Pharisee saying, thank God that I'm not like these other people. And then the Gentile beating his chest saying, God have mercy on me. And I think that, you know, the tendency to callously write off people that are struggling with same-sex attraction, uh, I think you're in danger of, of falling into that category of being the Pharisee who says, oh, praise the Lord that I'm not like that heathen, not like that degenerate. Um, so those are the things to his credit. Um, to his shame, and these are things that that will be the critique that will probably put North Point Church to the test if they actually hear this podcast. <laughs> How big is that circle, Mr. Stanley? Um, it's only as big enough uh, for those that agree with me. If you disagree with me, well, you're outside the circle. So yeah, this will be a test of how big that circle is. Um, but to his shame, this is the logic he used to, to build empathy and compassion and emotional sorriness, feeling sorry for people who struggle with same-sex attraction. His logic went like this. He, and I, I'm not going to quote this verbatim. He said, they asked God to take away this desire for, for same-sex attraction, and he didn't answer their prayer. Boo freaking who? Like, oh no, you can't say that. That's so callous and mean. Um, that, that appeal to emotion didn't resonate with me one bit. I have to say, it didn't resonate with me one bit. And you go, man, you're a callous, jaded son of a gun. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was Paul the Apostle. And the reason I say boo freaking who, and I wish this wasn't a Christian podcast because I'd actually like to drop the actual word because I think it would sound better um, and it would feel more visceral and real, like it would actually capture the sentiment of how I felt towards that appeal to emotion. It's like, welcome to the human experience, bro. Like whoop-de-doo. And you go, what do you mean? Well, you look at Paul the Apostle, he had a thorn in the flesh. And theologians and, and Christians have argued about what that thorn in the flesh was for centuries. And, and Paul pleaded with God, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. Did God take it away? No. What was God's response? My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. So the reason I say boo freaking who is it's like everybody has that experience. So to his shame or, or, or the thing that I disagreed with on this particular topic is the appeal to emotion is just laughably juvenile. Because, you know, he, he said a few times, I'm fully aware of the first Corinthians six passages and to go there. Um, just start in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you do not be deceived? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, or revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then it says, and such were some of you, past tense. And you go, okay, great. We already know that verse. What's the big deal? Well, just follow me with the laughably juvenile logic that he implemented to create an appeal to emotion for these 
poor, sapless, hopeless souls who struggle with same-sex attraction. They pleaded and pleaded for God to take that away. God didn't. Oh, what was me? So let's walk through this. So in this list that includes men who practice homosexuality, depending on your, on your translation, this, what is this? Bible Gateway pulled up the ESV. I think the NIV might, doesn't say men who practice, it just says homosexuals, okay? But included in here is adulterers, okay? We all know what adultery is. If I'm married, which I've been 23 years to my lovely wife, so let's just, for sake of argument, to the way that you test logic to see how valid the logic is is just programming you take out you assign a different value to the variables that have been put in the argument and you see how it goes so his argument is i have a desire that i've asked god to take away god didn't take away that desire therefore it's okay for me to pursue it that's his logic so in this list, adultery, let's just say that I, as a heterosexual male, have a robust appetite for very voluptuous breasts. And you go, oh my gosh, this is not a Christian podcast. How can you state that? Let's just say that as a heterosexual male, I enjoy climbing up my wife's palm trees and taking hold of her coconuts. Oh, you can't say this. I mean, it's, I'm quoting the Bible. <laughs> and if you know me, you would know that both of those statements are true. So let's just say, for sake of this argument, that my robust appetite for some delicious double Ds is so extreme that I can't contain it to just inside the confines of my wife's body. And therefore, I go, oh, well, I, I, God, take this away from me. Quench this appetite for bosoms. <laughs> and I conclude after pleading with God for years that he hasn't taken that appetite away. So therefore I say, well, I asked God, I pleaded with God, poor me, I'm going to go commit adultery and track down other women who have the physical characteristics that I individually, personally desire. You go, well, that logic doesn't make any sense. You're, you're, you're excusing away adultery under, at, at, the, at the guise of your, for, for the fulfillment of your own desires. No, no, but, but you have to feel sorry for me because I, I pled with God to take this desire away and he didn't. So I'm okay. Again, another one in that list is thieves. It says thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's just say that I am in poverty, which I have been. If you know anything about my story, grew up incredibly poor. No running water, no electricity, lack of food, lack of heat. I mean, just a total abject American poverty out in the middle of nowhere. Like literally living a pioneer life in the 1980s and 90s, you would have thought we were, you know, going out west and, and trying to go through the Oregon Trail and the in the 1700s, 1800s. So let's just say that I'm afflicted with poverty and I plead with God for years. God, take away this po poverty. Provide opportunities for me to get out of this poverty. And God doesn't answer that prayer. And then I conclude, oh, well, I guess I can go be a thief. And then the appeal to emotion would be, 
oh, well, that poor guy, he robbed banks and knocked over convenience stores and he, and he held up people at gunpoint at ATM machines. Oh, but it's okay because I'm overwhelmed with emotion because they, they, they appealed with God for years to take away their poverty and, and God didn't answer their prayer. Am I, am I the only one that can see how laughably juvenile this logical construct is? So yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel any sympathy for that. It's like, I mean, yo, Paul the Apostle experienced that. Millions, hundreds of billions, there's an estimated 100 billion people who've lived throughout time. Hundreds of billions of people have, I guess not hundreds, because if it's 100 billion, then it would be less than hundreds. So tens of billions of people have experienced similar things related to all kinds of desires, asking God to take things away, and he didn't. Therefore, the appeal to emotion trumps that, and then it gives a green light to do whatever you want. Like I said, just it's, it's laughably juvenile logic, and it is one of the logical fallacies which many leaders, not just pastors, but politicians, anyone seeking a position of power and influence, it's a logical fallacy that is often a go-to strategy to evoke sympathy and compassion and get you to accept a conclusion which is not logically valid. So to his shame, that was his chosen um, logical construct. Now, even with that said, that doesn't mean that you can't have sympathy and empathize with someone who they've pleaded with God to take something away and God hasn't. You go, what are you talking about? You just said, boo, freaking who, go pound sand. Everybody else has dealt with it. Um, yes, I, it, it's both and in my mind. It's like, I mean, welcome to the human experience. And yeah, I can feel terrible for that. Um, and I, I would just pause and, and think for five minutes on things that you have desired deeply that may have fallen into this list. Um, where to go? Idolaters. I mean, things that we idolize, thieves, greedy. I mean, holy smokes, we're living in, in the height of American capitalism with stock market and crypto millionaires all over the place and unjust compensation packages in corporate America all over the place. And you're going to tell me that you don't have desires that border on envy and greed and wanting to succumb to being a swindler or a reviler in order to attain the similar amount of monetary wealth that you see around you? Like, let's be honest here. And so if you if you plead with God, oh, take God, take away my desire for the, the crypto millionaire lifestyle and the yacht and the Caribbean vacations and the private jet and the swanky condo in South Beach and the, yeah, blah, blah, the six-pack abs and the... the 8% body fat and the whatever, like, and God doesn't take those away. And then you just justify and go, oh, well, he didn't take them away. So I can be a greedy son of a gun. I can be a thief. Like, I don't need to prolong that appointment, uh, prolong that point. The logic is, is laughably juvenile in my estimation. Um, and you could even take it a step further and go and, and, and this is where it gets squishy because 
you know, there's something when you when you try to equate, and I think this is the the subtle agenda in play here, and it's it's going to lead into the two broad categories that I kind of um, put the robes and the strobes in. Their their biggest flaw is there's a subtle attempt to want to remove homosexuality from that list. So it's like we'll bash idolaters and thieves and adulterers and liars and people who are envious and greedy. We'll bash them all day long. But there is a subtle subversive undercurrent to want to remove specifically homosexuality from that list. And it's been in play for a while. I mean, going back to, I, I worked as a web developer at a United Methodist church um, for six months. And the United Methodists, their official, doc, official doctrinal statement, if I remember correctly, at one point said that we believe that homosexuality is incompatible with biblical teaching. Well, this local United Methodist church just decided to go against the mainline doctrinal statement and just one, one Sunday came out and said, hey, we disagree with the denomination that we are a part of, and we are now declaring that homosexuals are equally faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And I had discussions with people there. It was like, well, why are you just picking that one out of this list in 1 Corinthians 6 and trying to extract it from existence? And they had all different kind of ways to go about it. It was like, oh, well, the word that we translate as homosexual in the Greek really didn't mean that. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's all kinds of mental gymnastics. But the bottom line is that there is a, there is a, a, a subtle, subversive agenda to remove homosexuality from that list. Um, so because of that, it's at times difficult to use the other things in that list as a, as a different value assigned to the same logical variable structure, if that makes sense. I'm trying to talk in programming terms um, and also make it make sense to people who aren't we're familiar with programming. Um, so this is one thing that I jotted down on my notes app while I was in there. It was like the extreme example of this would be I asked God to remove my hatred for someone who hurt me or abused me and he didn't. Therefore, I pursued insert whatever you want against that person. I pursued slandering that person. I pursued damaging that person's reputation. I pursued maybe even murdering that person, physically harming that person. You go, oh my goodness, you're so off the rails. You can't, you can't equate murder and homosexuality. It's too extreme. One is, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like when, when there's an effort to remove one of the things from the list, then it becomes... A more challenging to get across the consistent logical structure that if you insert a different value for that same logical flow, it falls apart. Um, so we can't just say, because I desired X and I have a sense that it's wrong, therefore I pled or am pleading with God to remove that desire I give it time. God doesn't remove that desire. Therefore, that desire is now fine. 
that is that is piss poor logic and that is all i had to say about that more coffee my other critique and this is probably one where i might get the most backlash and flack and outrage is using my powers of visual observation it appeared to me that one of the singers on stage had the characteristics of being a transgender woman oh my goodness you're such a judgy 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 individual your male privilege and your blah 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 is just so mean um and you go well maybe what what's even the point of bringing that up um and 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 this I probably am way more sensitive than the average churchgoer on this front um given my exposure to subtly nefarious tactics implemented by less than genuine church leaders <laughs> these guys that have positions of authority and power they're meticulous they're absolutely meticulous they're meticulous to down to the smallest detail which would make you probably a little alarmed if if and when you realized how meticulous they are to certain details surrounding the image surrounding the overall conveying of whatever message they're ultimately aiming at and you go well, what's the what's the importance of that um this is a brand new singer never seen this person before and you go well why would you conclude that well one just powers of observation you go i mean and maybe that's just showing my bias you know um maybe it's showing my proclivity to judge people externally a little too much maybe i'm falling into the category of first samuel 16 9 that says that man judges the outward appearance but god judges the heart i'll own that maybe that's what's happening here maybe i'm suffering from being a man or a human who judges the outward appearance too much um but a couple things happened throughout the course of the service that kind of confirmed that suspicion one there were no close-up cameras put on this particular individual the other two people singing had all of the close-up camera shots and when this particular individual was included in the camera shot there was inconspicuously coincidentally coinkadinkly no spotlight on this particular person so they were mired in shadow whereas the other singers were getting hit from three different angles of lighting the backlit the, the the scalp light to kind of give you the little glow off your head the the light in the front on the right the light in the front on the left whereas this particular person remained obscured in shadow 
And then the other peculiar thing to me at the very end of the service after they sang their last song was that members of the worship group came up to this individual and only this individual. This, this individual exited the stage to a long line of encouraging, affectionate side hugs. And we've been going to the church for two plus years, and I've never seen that before. I've never seen any singer, even the ones who are new, I've never seen them get hugged. And maybe I've just not attuned to that. Maybe I just have missed that. Maybe that has happened and I haven't observed it properly. And you go, well, what? who cares? Um, if that is true, and if I'm wrong, wow, I need to... I need to repent of my outward judging. I need to examine my own heart on how quickly I draw conclusions about people based on their external appearance. Um, and I and I and I will do that if if I'm proven to be wrong on that point. And as I said, I'm probably a little bit more attuned to this potential, very subtle yet incredibly deliberate attempt to slow boil Christians into a increasingly hotter temperature of affirming and accepting juvenile logic through the frame of empathy and sympathy to turn something that is prohibited into something that is celebrated. So those would be the things to his shame. Um, and you go, well, maybe it was an accident. Maybe he didn't even, wasn't even aware. If you believe that, then I have oceanfront property to sell you in Rio Rancho. The bigger and more influential these men become, the more particular and exacting and OCD they become on all of the details surrounding the particular agenda that they are pushing. So, those are my thoughts. Those are my thoughts. And you go, okay, well, what are the two broad categories that you landed in? Um, and it's simply this. It's simply this. And, and it's, it, it actually was offending me. I, I was sitting there and I was, I was offended at the overall gist of what Andy Stanley was promoting and you go, oh, well, yeah. here's the two categories. We've been given a Hobson's choice in the church in America. I don't know for how long, but at least for the 20 years, 25 years that I've been around. Holy smokes, it's not even 25. I'm getting old. I say 25 because a couple years ago it was 25. 96. Holy, holy moly, 27 years. Just you're you're old and and out of touch and no longer relevant. Just let Gen Z and Gen Alpha put you out to pasture. You have nothing to contribute. Just go rant into the moonlight, you old outdated relic. Um, twenty seven years. My twenty seven years in evangelical Christianity 
we have been given a Hobson's choice. And you go, what's a Hobson's choice? I don't know any of these words. Put down TikTok and read a book. Stop streaming YouTube morons and read a book. Well, you really are a relic. You're antiquated. Actually, you wouldn't say that because you don't even know what antiquated means if you're watching TikTok. <laughs> you're from Ohio. That's what you would be saying if you're watching TikTok. Go back to Ohio, little bro. Oh, my goodness. Here's the two categories. Hobson's choice is when you're given two choices when there's actually more. That's what a Hobson's choice is. It's, almost a, it's, it's similar to a false dilemma. You're given two choices and two choices only, and all the effort is put into convincing you that those are the only two choices. And it's like, uh, there's more than those two. Hello. And here's the thing. Robes and strobes. You're painting with brooms. You're such an overgeneralizationer. <laughs> Whatever that word is. You jump to conclusions. You love hasty, generaliz hasty generalization. That's the logical fallacy that you commit all the time. I like categories. What can I say? Um, I've asked God to take this desire for taxonomy away from me, and he won't. So, you know, I'm just going to embrace it. Um, mic drop. There we go. Logic. Yay. Here's the two things. On the robe side of the equation, this is the con socially conservative, politically conservative, quote unquote, air quotes. I'm putting air quotes up. The right leaning side of American, American, American evangelicalism. The choice has been, you must accept an outward moral code. No questions asked. No alcohol. No dancing. No R-rated movies. No cussing. No sexual promiscuity. No skirts above the knee. Etc., etc., etc. No voting Democrat. No going to Disneyland. The list just gets longer and longer and longer. But the, the argument put forth with urgency and supposed spiritual authority is, by golly, you must accept an outward moral code or you're not a Christian. And if you've experienced that vein of Christianity, you know that it is beyond doubt true. In this, true in the sense that that's what they promote. I mean, the, the PCA church we were involved with in Tampa, they went so far off the rails on this that they began promoting the idea based on some 17th century obscure German theologian that if you did not believe that the fourth commandment was absolutely binding, you were not a Christian. And you go, what's the fourth commandment? The Sabbath. If you worked on the Sabbath... You were not a Christian. If you believed that it was okay for someone to work on the Sabbath, you were not a Christian. The fourth commandment was so binding. You must adhere to this strict outward moral code or you are not a Christian. That's the first choice presented in this false dilemma, Hobson's choice of two choices and two choices only. And you go, well, yeah, I've experienced that. It's terrible. It's so bad. It's so damaging. It's so destructive. And that's why I totally understand why you or other people would end up at Andy Stanley's church. It's love and unconditionality and, and acceptance. And uh. 
putting people above of above principles or people above whatever you want to say. Yes. So so people who have experienced that, including if you read some about Andy Stanley's youth, that's kind of what he experienced, and it's kind of what pendulum swinged him. Pendulum pushed him the other way, more to the left, I'm using air quotes again, the left-leaning side of American Christianity, which is where he has, has landed and, and, and built his ministry around. But the other Hobson's choice here is, is in reaction against an overbearing demand that we accept a strict outward moral code. We have replaced it on the other side with a demand that we accept squishy inner moral corruption. Oh my goodness, you love your alliterative lining up points. Yes, I do. Accept a-S-O-M-C. Accept a strict outward moral code. You pendulum swing away from that and you are then presented with the choice and your only choice as an alternative is to accept a squishy inner moral corruption. Well, I asked God to take this desire away from me. I know the Bible kind of says it's wrong, but I pleaded and pleaded and he didn't take it away. So therefore, now you have to accept it. That's what's happening with this entire discussion as it relates to North Point and homosexuality and LGBTQ plus community. It's an appeal to emotion bookended with a stringent demand under the guise of large circles that because these people have pleaded and pleaded and we feel sorry for them that now the only Conclusion you can draw is that you must accept inner moral corruption. And I, I'm done with it. I, I have neither. No, I reject both. Eh. Show me family. Eh. I, I was trying to do family feud. I don't know. I don't know what, what the, Steve Harvey says. Show me something. Show me the money. Um, Those are the two choices we've been given. And the more I thought about it today, you've only thought about it today? Not even today. I've thought about it for two hours. <laughs> you can't talk on a podcast when you've only thought about something for two hours. Um, as I've thought about it this morning, I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised by it. Because again, to throw it into a category... It's exactly the same thing that New Testament Christians were arguing about and wrestling with 2,000 years ago. If grace abounds, then sin should abound even more. I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole, <laughs> the Judaizers and the antinomians. I mean, it's age-old human nature nonsense is what it is. It's no different than what the Judaizers and the antinomians were, I want to say, bashing each other's heads in over. Um, I'm not too sure 
at some at sometimes throughout church's history there they did get violent with one another i do know this um look no further than the anabaptists and mr jean calvin um it's the same thing no you must follow the law you must be circumcised you must not eat meat you must observe the sabbath on saturday you must, you must, you must. The Judaizers. And then the message of Christ comes along, and it's like, yo, it's the finished work of Jesus. Enter the antinomians. Oh, there's no law. I can do whatever I want. It's the exact same thing. This is what we're dealing with here. So the, the robe side of this equation has erred and, and continues to drift towards the Judaizing camp. And the Strobes crowd, aka in this instance Andy Stanley, continues to drift towards the antinomian side. And you go, well, what's the solution? Well, darned if I know. What? You don't have any solution? Yeah, I'm just going to become a fatalist. No, I'm kidding. I'm absolutely joking. But but here's the thing. The reason I'm doing robes nor strobes as a podcast is I literally have written down almost 50 people that I have known over the last 27 years inside of church circles who I had varying degrees of friendship with who want nothing to do with Christianity. And I don't even want to say it like that. That's so external. They want nothing to do with Jesus, who at one point in their lives was supposedly their best friend and savior. That's what bothers me. That's what grieves me. That's what irritates me. And I've got to do something about it. Hence, robes nor strobes. Why? Are there almost 50 people who my wife and I were friends with who, who professed a love for Jesus, a love for their neighbor, thankfulness that, that God had saved them, and then they discard him like a, a, an iPhone 3? Now you're appealing to emotion. You're doing the exact same thing that Andy Stanley's doing. It grieves me. And I think the reason that the primary reason that this is happening in mass, in my observations in American evangelicalism over the last quarter century plus, is that evangelicalism has only presented two choices. Either you accept a strict outward moral code or you accept squishy inner moral corruption. And if you do neither then you're not a Christian. And it's absolute hogwash. How can it be hogwash if Paul the Apostle was dealing with the exact same thing in the early church? It's hogwash because the third choice is Christ. The third choice is regeneration. The third choice is to be born again. What did the person come to Christ say? What must I do to be saved? He says, you must be born again. What the heck does that mean? I don't know, but it's supernatural and mysterious and powerful. This is the part of Christianity that I believe 
The scripture says that Satan comes to seek and destroy. destroy. He is the destroyer. He is the deceiver, the great deceiver, the Bible tells us. Oh my goodness, you're going off on Satan. This is getting weird. How better to divide? Jesus even said a house divided against itself cannot stand. How better to divide and destroy the church of God than to split the family of God into choosing between two false choices. Either you accept this strict outward moral code or you accept other squishy inner moral corruption. And if you do neither, you're not a Christian. No wonder people are walking away from the faith. That's the crappiest sales pitch that you could possibly put forth to a human who is suffering in a world of other humans and our collective sinfulness. That's a terrible pitch. It's, and this is what I concluded, and this is why I'm calling this cast, this cast, this podcast, Christianity and Andy Stanley and Al Mohler, they've all become a completely substanceless, nutritionless, hopeless nothing burger. That's what the church has become in insisting that there's only these two choices. The Christian faith has been reduced to an absolutely hopeless nothing burger. Because if our only choice is to accept a strict outward moral code, we are condemned. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All are dead in their trespasses and sins. There is none who seeks God. No, not one. Jesus spent most of his ministry blasting Pharisees, trying to adhere to a strict outward moral code. If our only choice is to succumb to our own inner moral corruption, we've lost. We've been defeated. The enemy has won. But those are our only two choices that the church has given us for over a quarter century. Where is the monergistic regeneration? What is that word? You're confusing me. Monergistic regeneration. New life being supernaturally, I'm banging my microphone now, supernaturally implanted into the heart and soul of an individual human through the miraculous, mysterious, supernatural work of God's Holy Spirit. Where has that gone? Where has that work, which allowed Paul to say, I have learned in all circumstances, whether in abundance or lack, to be content? Where has the monergistic regeneration, the new life, that completely changes our perspectives from being heaven, from being earthbound to being heavenbound? to no longer glorying in the riches and, and, and praise and wealth of the world and instead glorying in the invisible, unseen riches of Christ. Where has that gone? It's absent. So why robes nor strobes? I have no idea other than to say that I can't take these two choices anymore. I can't sit idly by and watch men on both sides of the right versus left 
realms of Christianity continue to enrich and pad their pockets through presenting morally onerous false dilemmas to tens and hundreds and millions, thousands, tens and hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. It is disgusting. It is vomitous. And I got to get something out. I mean, I, 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 I know this sounds stupid, but um, Jeremiah said, the prophet, oh no, you're going back to your prophet. You're going to go off the rails. He said that it's, the word of God is a fire in my bones. And the more I sit on this and just try to like accept, I, I can no longer just be a frog getting slowly bo- boiled to death in one of these two gigantic pots that tell me I either have to accept strict outward moral codes or that I have to accept squishy inner moral corruption. I just can't do it anymore. For, I'll say it for God's sake, let's look to Christ. Let's look to regeneration. Let's look to, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We need regeneration, people. We need new life, new affections, completely different priorities. And so long as we linger in an environment that is content to let leaders enrich themselves and grow their social media influence through being wise as serpents, that list of 50 people that I've made over the last quarter century is going to be longer in 25 years from now. And I can't tolerate that. I can't sit by idly and just, oh, well, oh, well, just going to let that happen. So I have no idea if one person needs to hear this, if a hundred people need to hear this, if a hundred billion, that's impossible, hundred billion people. 93 billion of them are dead. Um, I have no idea. I just know that my heart grieves seeing friends of various levels. What do you mean by various levels? Like different, different levels of friendship, like really good friends that you like did life with, so to speak. Um, roommates, went to weddings, hung out. You know, just the gamut of friends, people you were arm in arm with in ministry at one point. I, I can't just, it grieves me beyond description that that's happened to them. And the leaders of evangelicalism across the board just continue to sit back and scream at each other from their echo chambers of either accepting an outward moral code or accepting others' inner moral corruption. It's detestable. Turn to Christ. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Just have mercy. Let your spirit come and regenerate these people. Let your spirit come and regenerate me. I I, I don't know what else to say. Born again, the power of the Holy Spirit. It has been extracted from the church. And we we are reaping the consequences of that extracting of the Holy Spirit. 
from individuals' hearts and lives. And it needs to change. So if you or some you know someone who needs to hear this, feel free to share it. You know, like I said, hopefully these the large circles that North Point uh, prides themselves on, uh, that they're large enough to tolerate this particular partially co- coherent uh, podcast episode. Um, look to Christ, Christ alone. Hebrews, author of Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of the world will go grow strangely dim. Let's stop shouting from the rooftops that others need to accept a strict moral code or that others need to accept our squishy inner moral corruption. And let's plead the Lord for mercy to be regenerated and born again and given new life. And if that happens, it decentralizes the power, which might be why the leaders don't want to preach it. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, that's to quote Forrest Gump again, and that is all I have to say about that. See you on the next episode. Bye.